Hello, this is Tim Conboy, the pastor of New Life Community Church located in Nashville, Indiana. I'd like to thank you for visiting our podcast, and I trust that God will just bless you and encourage you and speak to your heart as you listen to this message. Thank you again for joining us, and God bless you. Good morning. Good morning. Are we awake today? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I know Lashard was awake. You ever watch Lashard worship? I'm like, that kid can worship. I was like, man, I wish I could learn to worship. I mean, he just, yeah, just having at it. It's like Christian aerobics up there. He just loves the Lord and sings it out. And so uh, Lashard <clears throat> means fresh lake or fresh water. And he is. He is a fresh water in our midst. We are going to be in the book of? Oh, you guys are good. Chapter? 16. Wow, you probably wondered, is there any other books in the Bible? <laughs> yes, there are. And we do reference them de temps en temps, from time to time. But we are working through it. This is, <clears throat> by the way, working through this scripture, I mean, as you know, we, we don't just learn exactly what that text is saying. We also learn and apply other uh, biblical principles and you know, we bring in other scriptures for supporting it. I think it's important to work through books. You know, if every message was a topical message, ever sat under continual topical messages, they're like pieces of a puzzle. And it's tough when you lead to take all the scripture pieces of the puzzle put together. Like, man, what was that thing about? Or at least this way, you know the text, you can work through it, and uh, hopefully the Holy Spirit can remind you what we covered. Sound good? I mean, that's why I go through it. And it also helps me to know where I am. So I'm like, oh, okay, I'm still an X. We will get through it. <clears throat> We're actually on the uh, downward slope of it, believe it or not. So it shouldn't take us more than a month. <laughs> I have my fingers crossed. Just kidding. It, it's not about how fast, but there's no contest for getting through it quickly. By the way, did we get our volunteers for Mother's Covered? Not yet. We still need two to serve. Mentioned at first service, if you could help serve this afternoon at Mother's Cupboard, uh, let myself know, or Dan and Deb, and so uh, they could fill that slot. So we have a slot, an opportunity to serve. I know you guys always are fighting for opportunities to serve, so here's one. Don't fight over it. Just come and let us know, and we'll plug you in. And it's not to be the cook, it's to serve. To just help. It's very easy, and uh, it's a great blessing. It really is. Okay, are you ready to go? Act 16, Starting in verse 1. Then he, who's he? Paul, good. Paul, he, Paul, came to Derby and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple. Now, let's pause for a minute. The word, when it says behold, that literally means to look at. So he's going along, he says, okay, we're in, we're in this town, the Lystra and Derby. And he says, now, before you just read on, he goes, stop for a minute. And I want you to stop, and I want you to look at this disciple uh, whose name was Timotheus, or Timothy. We love that name, don't we? I'm particularly fond of it, no. although I've shortened it to Tim, not Timmy, remember? That was a great insult to Timotheus of the day, so we don't use Timmy, unless your mom. But he says, stop and look at this guy named Timotheus, Timothy. He said, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed. So we know something about his mom. She was a believer. We'll know later her name was Eunice. 
but she was a believer. But his father was Greek. Now, it's interesting this coordinated conjunction, but means going this way, and then it goes this way. So it has both ideas. He's going this way. She was Jewish, but he was Greek. She was a believer, but it doesn't reference anything concerning him as far as being a believer or not. As a matter of fact, many scholars believe that he's probably not even alive at this time. And it's probably one reason that the Apostle Paul kind of pulls him under his wing and mentors this young man. But be that what it is, uh, he was a Greek. He, who is the he? Timothy, was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium, two cities within 35 miles of each other. Paul wanted to have him go on with him. He took him and had him circumcised, or circumcised him. Why? Because of the Jews, the unbelieving Jews, who were in that region. For they all knew, even the unbelieving Jews, knew that his father was Greek. So it tells us about uh, who he is. It's talking about his reputation, his testimony. But it also tells us about the others uh, that were Jewish in the area and what they knew about him and his family. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep. What were these decrees? Remember, it was a previous chapter in the book, or, or excuse me, a previous chapter, James and the other apostles wrote to them. Matter of fact, which were determined by the apostles and the elders at Jerusalem. Remember chapter 15, the whole thing was, do the Gentiles have to be circumcised in order to be saved? And the answer was, no, they don't. They don't have to become Jews in order to become Christians. They can go right to Christ to be saved. And all the men said, Amen. Amen. That's what they said at that time. They all high-fived each other and said, That's awesome. They said, So they don't have to go. So these are the decrees. They said, But here's what we recommend to you. Stay away from idols and things strangled of blood and from sexual immorality. So he says, If you do these things, you'll do well. He doesn't say if you do them, you'll be saved. He speaks of their testimony. So he takes this letter that was written to the church at Antioch and takes it up to the churches in Galatia. Uh, some believe that uh, Paul had already written the letter of Galatians at this time from Antioch. I'm not so sure it was exactly this time period. But they took the decrees there. After they read this throughout the churches, verse 5 says, So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Why? Because they just got this letter from the uh, apostles and brethren and elders down in Jerusalem. It says, you don't have to be circumcised to be saved. They said, then I'm in. I'm ready. I'll get saved. Seriously, that's literally what this is about. When I come to this chapter, this text, it's interesting that it takes these verses, five verses, to speak about this encounter. Now, he'll talk in verse 6 about moving on to uh, Pamphylia, or, or, or Phrygia, rather. But right now, he says, I want to stop. I want to talk to you about a guy named Tim. And I want to talk to you about his family. I want to talk to you about his testimony. I want to talk to you about uh, the people that lived in that region and what they thought. And it's interesting because when we come here, we see this is a second, known as a second missionary journey of Paul. The first missionary journey, Paul took Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas, remember, he went to Cyprus. And then they came up into Turkey and then circled around and then went back to Cyprus and back to Antioch. But you remember what just happened. The end of 15. 
Paul and Barnabas were at odds with each other. I mean, they, they were having it out. The whole church knew about it. As a matter of fact, God even recorded so everyone hundreds of years later will know about it. Telling us that they're made of the same material we are. Aren't you glad for that? So they had a strong contention. It was sharp between them. And so Barnabas took John Mark, Paul took Silas, and they went their separate ways. Remember, Barnabas took John Mark, his nephew, and went down to Cyprus. And tradition tells us later went to North Africa. You know, from this point on, even though Barnabas sails off the page of Scripture, and the Holy Spirit will follow Paul's ministry, I don't want us to think that somehow, because of John Mark's um, issue in serving the Lord that he had there in Pamphylia, that somehow that God put him on a shelf. And we think that sometimes. You know, we failed the Lord, we messed up, God puts us on a shelf, and He's not going to use us anymore. And, and off we go. But that's not the case. Do you realize after this point, even though Silas and Paul went one way and Barnabas and John Mark went the other way, and even though the Holy Spirit is going to record Paul's trips, the Holy Spirit was still working over in John Mark's life and Barnabas's life, even though we were not following their journeys. As a matter of fact, like I said, in that argument, we both, we want to know who was right and who was wrong. We always want to know that, right? Which team won the argument? And they were both right. It was right for John Mark to go with Barnabas. He needed a Barnabas in his life. Someone who would take time with him and, and teach him and mentor him, show him what it means to serve. And he did not need a Paul who was driven and intense and go, go, go. And, and he, he needed that Barnabas. And what's amazing to me is, even though we won't follow their journey, but do you realize it was ten years after this point, only 10 short years. 10 years ago wasn't that long ago. And it seems the older we get, the shorter 10 years gets, doesn't it? It's like, wow, it's already been 10 years, you know, and time flies. Well, here's 10 years have gone by, and John Mark learned about being a servant from Barnabas. Uh, so much so that John Mark looked at the life of Jesus, and he wrote about Jesus as the servant of God, the servant of Jehovah. And he wrote about this, and it was the first writings. As a matter of fact, it was one of the first Gospels of the four Gospels ever written. We know it as the book of Mark. We know it by his Gentile name, Mark, not his Hebrew name, John. So the Gospel of Mark, when you look at it, and it focuses on Christ the servant, we realize, wow, where did he learn that? Where did he, though he lived in Jerusalem with his family at the time of Christ, but, but where, why was the emphasis on serving the Lord? And the answer to me was because Barnabas showed him and mentored him and pulled him on his wing and showed him what it meant to serve the Lord. So don't think that the Holy Spirit, you know, just kind of put him on his shelf and off he went. He said, no, God was working his life. And like I said, he was one of the first gospels ever written, was written by, the, by Mark, same guy, John Mark. So now when we think of John Mark and Barnabas sets sailing. Uh, Paul and Silas will then go the opposite direction. And when we think of the, these two, now we have two different ministries going two different directions. As a matter of fact, you see on the map here, you can see where Paul and Barnab Paul and Silas, i got to break that habit, Antioch to the far right, they're going to go straight north. And this is going to be known as, this area is known as the Western Gate, or the gate, or excuse me, the gate to the east, the Eastern Gate. Up at... You know, so if you were traveling to the east, just above Antioch, you'd cut through a mountain pass if you're going to head west, or excuse me, head east. 
If you're going to head west, you go through what's known as the gateway to the west. That would be, see the water, body of water at the top? That is the Black Sea. Matter of fact, where that little bit of land juts out at the top there, if you go straight north, you come to a peninsula known as Crimea. Anyone ever heard of Crimea? Of course. It's got that famous river that goes through it, remember? The Crimea River? <laughs> Anyways. That was a good one. Come on, it was a good one. But that's where it is. <laughs> Some of you are just getting it, but that's okay. I want, it, I want you to get in your mind, because I can't show you the whole globe right here. Uh, just where we're at. I mean, we're, we're just south of the Ukraine, across that river. And right to the left of the Black Sea there, those two bodies that come together with the water going between them, uh, that is the gateway to the west. That's where they would travel to head west. That's also where we know the city of Istanbul is located. Now, here's your Jeopardy question. If anyone ever asks, what city stands on two continents? The only city that is on two continents is Istanbul. All right, so now you'll know your Jeopardy answer. Formerly known as Constantinople, right, the city of Constantine. And uh, anyways, that's actually where the Catholic Church moved to from Rome, moved to, to that point there until they smashed their, their statues and then they moved back to Rome and left behind what we know as a Greek Orthodox Church. And so that's a whole that's, uh, ecclesiology, I'll, that's a whole other subject. But I want you to get a picture here where they, they went from. So they jump over the mountains, they go from Antioch over to Tarsus. This was Paul's hometown. Remember that? He was Paul of Tarsus. So he lived here. He was Jewish. He was a Pharisee. And yet he lived outside of Israel. It amazed me how many Jews are living outside of the nation of Israel. Because Deuteronomy says that if you obey me, you will stay in the land. And if you do not, you will be scattered throughout the nations. So the, he says if you're under the blessing, you're in the land. If you're under the curse, you're out in the nations. So is Israel at this time under the blessing or under the curse? They're under the curse. They're still scattered throughout the nations. And God right now in our time, is huge, is now gathering them back into the, from the nations. That, that's huge. That's beyond huge. That's like the, the Super Bowl of uh, prophecies coming true back in 1948, declaring himself a nation again. Anyways, won't get into uh, eschatology either. So, Tarsus, they jump over the mountains right there. Now, they end up in Lystra. Now, it shows approximately 150 miles as the crow flies. It's actually about 250, by the way, they would go there. So this wasn't like, I think I'm going to go to uh, Lister this afternoon. What do you want to do? This is quite a ways, 250 miles by foot, and they land in Lystra. Now, you look here, I want you to see on this map topography. You see how you got the mountains on either side of Galatia? This area is quite flat in some areas. I mean, there's, there's hills and, and mountains, uh, but this region of Galatia is probably what we would picture as we think of the Middle East. Matter of fact, I'll show you a few slides. Uh, these were pictures, compliments of uh, Dwight Thompson when he lived there. Uh, he goes, oh, I got pictures of the region of Galatia. Well, who wouldn't, right? <laughs> oh, gee, <laughs> send that to me. So these were semi-selected out of there. It kind of gives you an idea of the, the arid area that we're talking about. But really, you may not see it. There's houses peppered through all that picture. Everywhere right now. You can see there's houses there. You can even see the uh, Muslim uh, minaret 
in the middle. Let's just move through them. There's also very high plateaus. You see this uh, mesa here in the valley below and the trees. And, and so it's uh, quite, quite diverse and, and it'll change quite rapidly, actually. In the ne next slide here, you see, you don't want to go hiking at night. You want to say, oh, I better have a flashlight because, boy, you could, throughout this region, though it may have high plains, boy, it could drop off very quickly. And, you know, we're always amazed at the landscape of the erosion and stuff in this volcanic rock that's peppered throughout the land and they actually use for housing. And so these were actually the cavemen back in the day. No, just kidding, they weren't. But they dug in there and lived inside of these um, houses back in the day and now modern day, some of the valley, you can see how it's more of a valley, you can see how it's more flat in this region. Now these are pictures of the land. But I believe that it's important for us, not just to know the land, because that helps us to know what it means to move through the area. But I think we need to know the people of the land, and Galatia, and why Galatia, and why this area. So we saw the topography, and this next picture, uh, this next map, shows us where Paul traveled. And it will cut around the, the uh, Tarsus and jump the mountains. You can see this arrow pointing to Lystra. Next slide is an arrow pointing to Lystra. Oh, there it is. Right above the Sea of Sample. Sorry about that. Hey, it was out there. So, oh, I'll just use that picture. Um, there, I know my wife said, you know, it says sample so you don't use it. Oh, I don't care if it says sample. Because no, it's so you don't use it. I go, oh. What do I know? I just thought, I was like, oh, here's what it looks like. Oh, that's cool. The red line will be their missionary journey, by the way. They're in, see, Derby, you see that, to the right of the pink area, Derby, Lystra, Iconium, 35 miles north, Antioch of Pisidia is there to the left side of this region, Galatia. The reason, now they're going to travel up and, and through Greece and Macedonia and then back, but the reason I wanted you to see this is because you, you see where the, the other regions, you know, you got Asia and uh, Bithynia, Cappadocia, Lycia, you see how most of those run east and west. But Galatia runs north and south. And I know you go, why? I, you know, I can understand there are the plains there, uh, but, but why north and south? I believe it's important to know history. And so do you, amen? Why? Because it's his story, right? Do you believe God was working millenniums ago, just like God works today? He was working back then and working in the lives of people and working through history and moving people and putting them into the places where they're at. And I believe it's important to know about Galatia, the people of Galatia, because they are not originally from here. They're not originally, you know, as we think of Turkey or, or even think of Greece or even the Roman Empire. They weren't of the Romans, and they were not of the Greeks, and then they were not of the modern-day Turks. As a matter of fact, they were Celtic people. We like Celtic people. Amen? The Irish are Celtic people. The Irish, as well as others, are Celtic people, but the name for these Celts, the Latin name of the Gallia, G-A-L-L-I-A, is the Latin G-A-U-L, was the Greek. You ever heard of the Gauls? That's the Galatians. You say, well, how in the world did the French get down here? 
I'm glad you asked. In this next slide, let me show you, this is a map of Europe. Now, there's arrows going each direction. The green is Italy. This is Rome. This is the, the, where the Latins were. You see Turkey's down there to the right. That's what we're talking about. Before Christ came, there was a tribal group of people that came from Noah's son, uh, Japheth. Ham, Jem, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Japheth's people went up into Europe. Uh, they were known as Celtic people. They were warrior people. These dudes were always fighting. They were usually fighting the Germanic tribes of the north. We have a lot of Germans here, don't we? Don't be upset with me because I'm Celtic, but we're all friends now. Right? So they were fighting the Germanic tribes of the north, but they were also pushing to the east. And they would go down, they'd beat up on Rome about 390. So while the Old Testament prophets were writing their books, and you read about what's going on in Israel, what's going on north of the Mediterranean, uh, were these Celts that were fighting. And they would spread to the east, and when they would stop in Thrace, which was where we saw Istanbul located, they never did cross into uh, modern-day Turkey. They actually stayed, their, their tribal people stayed just west of there. Until there were clans that were having at it in what we know as Turkey. And so they hired these Gauls to come in. They were mercenaries. They were armies for hire. You need someone to fight? We like fighting. How much you want to pay? And so they hired 10,000 Gauls to come down into this region, which brought 10,000 women and children as well. So that's why you'll see an arrow in about 277 B.C. You'll see to the right, you see a little arrow in that circle, it'll say Galatia. You see that? How many can't see it? Okay, a couple can't see it. Um, it's right there. Does that help? that help? No? I, I was going to pick up a mic stand and point to it, but i got to get a pool cue because the lasers don't work. I tried them. So, but there's a little circle there of Gauls. And you're like, what in the world are they doing there? Well, they were hired as mercenaries to come into their, this country and protect literally one brother from another brother and keep, the, keep them from coming over and invading them. And we say, well, that was 200 years before Christ. Listen, 200 years is not a long time. It's not a long time. Our country is 250 years old. You go to Europe, they think, oh, you guys are babies. Because, you, you know, I'm, I'm over there and I see something that's 1,500 years old. You're like, wow, that thing's old. And so here, 200 years before Christ, these guys were hired to come in there as mercenaries. And the reason I tell you this, if you go back now to the... Oh, by the way, before we go leave there, before we leave there, you say, well, how do they end up being French? I'm glad you asked. Because <clears throat> remember, it was Stephen de Gaulle. Stephen, or, well, Stephen de Gaulle is Stephen of France. Says he's the actor. Charles de Gaulle, you remember that guy? Same thing, of Gaulle. How do they become Gauls? Because these guys were such good fighters that when it got hand-to-hand -hand combat, got close, they invented a throwing axe that was very efficient. It would hit and, you know, do his, do his job as they would need to do in war. Uh, this instrument that the Gauls invented was called a Francesca. That's what it looked like. It was a throwing axe. A Francisca, rather. Francisca was known in Latin as a Frankish, or just Franks. They were axe or throwing axe. Uh, they, from that, they got their name French comes from that word. And so French is really the name of their weapon, but they're still Gauls. You follow me on this? All right, next slide. So by the way, 
it was believed that the Indians, tomahawk, was introduced by the French, the metal one, not the, the stone, but when they started using throwing axes, uh, they were introduced, they believed, by the French, and of course they probably used them against the French in the French and Indian War, but that's another story. We won't go into that deep of history. Now, I tell you all that to tell you now you know why the region of Galatia goes north and south. It almost cuts the continent right there in half, this, this uh, landmass. It was a fence. It was a line of defense. And it was, they were warrior people. This is their mentality. They, they, they weren't like the Latin lovers from Rome. No, these were the fighting guys. These were the fighting Irish that were down there, right? The Celts. And so they were there as people that were very disciplined, very militaristic, very regimented in their life. And so when the Jews of that region told them that there was a code of conduct they had to live by, and that it was called the Law of Moses, and, and you have to convert, and you have to do these things, uh, they were on board as far as the law. They was like, all right, we're in. We understand having a regimented lifestyle. That's why one of the first epistles written, one of the first letters written, was the book of Galatians, written to the Gauls, written to these people. And in this book, the book of Galatians, it explains the law of Moses. Don't let them bewitch you. Don't let them bring this false doctrine of the law. Don't fall for it. And he will speak to the Jews as well as the Gentiles to tell them you are not under the law. You're under the law of Christ, which is love God and love people, right? And he says you're under the law of liberty. So isn't it interesting, this book of Galatia, Galatians, which is so deep in Jewish history, dealing always back even to Abraham, was one of the very first books written, and it was written to these people. It wasn't sent to Jerusalem. You would have thought it had been sent down to Jerusalem to help these Jews down there. He goes, no, he sends it into Galatia. And so I tell you all that because I believe it's important. You know, we just read the Bible and say, okay, oh yeah, the book of Galatians. You know, that just comes for Ephesians and it's halfway through the New Testament. No, no, it's so, so much more than that. And, and that's why this region is so much more. That's why Paul, you're going to see him camping out at these uh, cities and really trying to make an impact here uh, because these people and their, their heritage and their upbringing. One of the things I learned from this isn't just history, but it's this. Your heritage sometimes is a reason for your hang-ups. You got me in this? Sometimes the way you were brought up is a reason you have some hang-ups. The people who lived in that region, the way they were brought up is a reason they had this hang-up over the law. I mean, they were taught to be regimented. They were taught to, to, to go by the rules. And because, now, I'm not saying you break the rules. But I'm saying is that, that we are raised, how we are raised, and the impact of our parents, the impact of our environment, uh, as, as far as the culture we're in, that impacts how we view Scripture, and it impacts how we think things should be done. Do you know that? <laughs> and sometimes it's right down to little subcultures uh, within... You look at any denomination... It's amazing. A lot of times the denominations did not break up so much over true scriptural issues as it was more over personal dogmas between the, the groups. You know, Lutherans believed one way and the Methodists, I mean, they believed a whole different way of evangelizing. And they, and they were so much about evangelism. Hey, let's, we can go outside and pitch a tent. We can call them in to be saved. And because of their methods of evangelizing, they even called them Methodists. All these different methods of evangelizing. It's awesome. But... But a lot of times, our hang-ups sometimes are because of our brought-ups, how we were brought up. 
And when I look here, I realize that we need to be careful. Matter of fact, this whole text is about this. That's why he says, look at Timothy. He was dealing with some hang-ups in the area that some of the Jews were going to have if he continued with Paul on his missionary journey. And so they had to deal with the Jews' hang-ups if they were ever going to reach them with the gospel. As a matter of fact, one of the first issues was a controversial relationship with his parents, verse 1. It says his mother was Jewish, but his father was Greek. You see, Timothy, which means honored of God, God says he is valued of God, honored of God. It is Timotheus. That's how God viewed him. But it's interesting how man viewed him. Uh, The Jews viewed him as a half-breed. He's half-Jewish, he's half-Gentile. If your mother was Jewish, you were considered Jewish. I have nephews. My aunt is Jewish. Her boys are considered Jewish. They go to synagogue, they're considered Jewish. The only difference is they're less of a Jew. They're less of a Jew because they're not pure Jew. You follow me here? You say, well, that shouldn't be an issue. Those are just cultural things. Well, you know, it's such an issue that in Jerusalem, in Israel rather... If you leave Jerusalem to go north to Galilee, you don't go through Samaria because they were considered half-breeds in their culture. And it was wrong. And Jesus said, wait a minute, I'm going through some, right through Samaria. John chapter 4. They used to go across the Jordan River, up the east side, and then cross back over so they don't have to walk through Samaria. They were that prejudiced. And Jesus says, no, 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 the gospel is not prejudice. Amen? He goes, I'm going right through the middle of what you consider these half-breeds, and you won't have anything to do with them because they're not purebreds in your eyes. He says, I'm going to go right through there, and I'm going to reach them with the gospel. But it's amazing, all through that region are Jewish people that, one, are outside the land of Israel. That means they're living under the curse that God said they would be if they disobeyed. So they're outside the land of Israel, and yet they still are carrying this... this, um, prejudice with them. So much so that when Paul writes to Philippi, which is going to be over in Macedonia, uh, he'll go through a list of his credentials, his, his uh, pedigree. He says, you know, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Pharisee. I was of the Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was of the righteous ones, he says to him. And he goes right down his lineage and says, this is who I am. And you would have thought that'd be written down in Jerusalem. He could no. These are ones that are scattered abroad. So, which tells you, they're not even in the land. They're not even doing what God told them to do in the first place. And yet, here they are, judging everyone else around them. You see, we've got to be careful when we approach our culture, not to take on the prejudices attitude of our culture. Because in Christ, there's no difference between Jew or Gentile. Right? We are one in Christ. No difference between bond or free, Jew or Gentile, white or black or yellow or whatever your background, whatever your nationality is. There's no difference in Christ. Amen? So don't look sideways and someone says, oh boy, I can't believe they're married there. Or that one's married there. You know what? We're all married to Jesus Christ. It's good. It's good, right? But this is an issue. Matter of fact, it said all the Jews in the region knew that his father was Greek. So they had their hang-ups. So what happened... Timothy was already a lightning rod, if you will. He was already one that they had an issue with and would have an issue with. But Paul was a missionary Jew first and also to the Greek. God bless you. So he tells Timothy, it's best for you to be circumcised. Isn't that amazing? You say, wait a minute. You're carrying a letter to the Gentiles saying you guys don't have to be circumcised uh, to become saved. 
You don't have to become a Jew to be saved. But he said, but Timothy, you know, it's probably best that you be circumcised. And I've had people say, well, Paul's being a hypocrite. He was being a hypocrite having Timothy circumcised. He didn't have Silas circumcised. Listen, this was not about religious reasons. That's what's important here. It was about cultural reasons. It was about a philosophy of ministry and evangelism that says, listen, this can become a stumbling block. This can become an issue. So rather than create our own controversy, let's just take, get that issue taken care of. Let's get this issue out of the way. And, you know, when I think of that, I realize, you know, there are enough controversies in life without creating your own. Right? Why create your own problem? Why create your own issue? Why create your own controversy? Paul says this is going to be a problem, so let's take care of this. Not to get him saved, not to get the glory, but for him to say, you know what? We don't want to become a stumbling block. Matter of fact, listen to Paul's philosophy of ministry in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19 to 22, here's what Paul says. For though I am free from all men, I could, in, other, in other words, translation, I can do what I want. I'm in Christ. I am free from all men. I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. He says, I'm free from all. I don't answer to men. I answer to God. But he says, but you know what? I made my servant to God. How can I serve you in order to reach you for Christ? Verse 20. To the Jews, I became as a Jew. You say, well, that's strange. He already was Jewish. He was. But he said, but I lived like the Jews when I was amongst the Jews. When I was sitting down at dinner, they were eating kosher. I would eat kosher. He says, so that I might win the Jews. Those who are under the law, as those under the law. That I might win those who are under the law. You say, well, wait a minute. He's not supposed to be under the law of Moses. Here's, here's essentially what he's saying. They want to worship at sundown on Friday. And the Sabbath starts sundown on Friday. or sundown on Saturday. I'm good with that. The early Christians were worshiping on the resurrection Sunday. They worshiped on Sunday. When he's worshiping with the Gentiles, he could worship on Sunday. He's good with that. If he's with the Jews, hey, he's reaching these Jews. They want to worship on Saturday. I'll worship on Saturday. Do you, do you realize that Romans 14, is, it said, some men esteem one day above another day. This is day is more holy than this day. But God says, no, it doesn't. It's not about that. So Paul doesn't make it about that. I'm with the Jews under the law. Okay, they want to worship then. I'll worship them then. Verse 21, to those who are without law, as without law. I lived as without law. Now, not being without law towards God, but under the law towards Christ. What's that mean? That means, he goes, I'm not talking about God's law. I'm not, I'm not saying I can lie when I want, I can cheat when I want, I can murder. He goes, no, 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 no. I'm under the law of Christ. I'm not under the law of Moses. I'm under a greater law, the law of Christ. And under that law, I love God with all my heart, mind, and soul, and I love people. Amen? If I do those two, I don't have to worry about the Decalogue. Remember, first half covers loving God, second half covers loving man. He says, so I'm not saying I live lawless. He says, but that I might win those who are without law, the Gentiles. To the weak, I became as weak. That I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. He says, you know what? It's not about me. It's not about my Christian liberty. It's not about, hey, I got the right to do this. 
Timothy could have said, I have the right not to be circumcised. I am in Christ. I didn't have to do this to be saved. I am already saved. Timothy's already saved. You know what? He did have that right. But he didn't push that right. He says, you know what? I'll become all things to all men. He said, if this is what it's going to take to reach the Jews, I'll do that. It's not sin. I could do it to the glory of God. I'll do it to the glory of God. Matter of fact, Jesus or uh, Paul will balance this also in uh, 1 Corinthians 6. In 1 Corinthians 6, familiar text in verse 12, let me turn there. He'll also say, all things are lawful to me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. This is a great lesson for all of us to learn. And the lesson is this, just because you can do something does not mean you should always do that something. Just because you can do it, doesn't mean you should do it. Just because you have the liberty, Timothy, in Christ not to go through this procedure, you know, doesn't mean you have to fall and say, hey, I, I, they don't like it too bad. I'm in Christ. And, you know, he, he's saying, all things are lawful to me. Paul said, I could eat pork chops if I want. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about their diet. I could eat pork chops. He goes, but, but it's not about pork chops. If I'm with the Jews, I'm not going to eat. I'm going to eat kosher. I'm going to eat kosher food. When I'm in the Gentiles, I'm not going to say, well, I'm sorry, I can't eat this barbecue. Can you bring me some uh, kosher food? Man, aren't you glad we can eat barbecue? Yeah. Blessed of God. All things you could eat. But he says, but I'm not going to assert my liberty. Say, I got the right in Christ to eat this barbecue and I don't have to eat your kosher food. He says, no, you know what? When I'm with the Gentiles, I'll eat their kosher food. When I'm, or excuse me, the, the Jews, I'll eat the kosher. When I'm with the Gentiles, I'll eat pork chops. I don't have a problem with that. Because it's not about that. It's amazing what we make it about, isn't it? You know, in this whole, matter of fact, what is it? Romans 14. Last verse I'll read to you. Romans 14, verse 20 says this. Do not destroy the work of God. It's amazing. He has to talk to Christians and tell Christians, don't destroy God's work. Glad we would never do that, right? Don't destroy the work of God. How? For the sake of food. Don't make this issue over pork chops. Don't make this issue over kosher. Don't do it for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure. And he says all things. But it is evil for the man who eats with offense. And he says when in doubt, don't. If you can't do it to the glory of God, don't do it. Right? If you're Jewish and say, man, I just can't bring myself to eat pork chops, then don't eat it. But if you're Jewish and say, you know what? I can, it's okay for me to eat pork chops. Then do it to the glory of God. Right? Just don't destroy the work of God by your liberty. Don't say, well, you know what? I'm going to do it. And you guys got to do it too. He went on to say, It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine. Now, most people say, see, it says don't drink wine. Well, if you're going to go with that logic, it also says don't eat meat. Right? Which is food. It's good not to eat meat nor drink wine nor anything by which your brother stumbles. Now, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful or expedient for the work. 
All things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the power of any. You say, well, how can food, in this case, we're using pork chops, how can, you can't be under the power of pork chops, can you? He's like, Tim, you're so silly. No, I'm serious. It's not the pork chops that's the issue. It's not them taking power and control over me that's the issue. It's my pride that says, I'm free in Christ, I'm going to do it anyways. That's the problem. That's the issue. And whether it's meat, whether it's food, whether it's kosher or not kosher, or whether it's wine, drinking wine or not drinking wine. Don't push your liberty as an occasion to say, I'm going to do it whether you like it or not. He said, in other words, be careful what you do. Be careful how you interpret. He's not saying it's wrong to drink wine. But he says it's wrong to become under the power of it. And if you're under the power of it and you're under the influence of it, guess what? You need to repent and get out from under that stuff. Amen? But he said the wine itself is not the problem. It's, a, it's we who tarry long at the wine. You ever read this, this Proverbs 30, uh, 23? Oh yeah, read that sometime. The one who falls asleep in the crow's nest? Oh yeah, read that sometime. Those are one, that's when the issues come in. But it's interesting, the issue here was dealing with circumcision. He goes, you know what? Don't push that issue, that I don't have to do this. He goes, don't think about yourself. Think about these unsaved family members on your mom's side. You want to see them saved. And so he said, what, a, what a young man this guy is. I'm willing to do this. He goes, you know what? I will have this done. If that's what it's going to take to reach the loss, I'm willing to do it. And it's interesting, you know, what is it that we're willing to uh, push aside or self-sacrifice at times say, you know what? And he's not saying, you know, you can't do this ever. He goes, you know, if you got the faith to do it, do it privately. Do it privately as unto the Lord, Romans 14, 21. He said, but don't make this the issue. He says, because it's not the issue. Don't destroy the work of God. It's interesting, back in the nine, or 1990s, I'd say mid-90s, a friend of mine was missionary in Italy. North Italy, still there, actually, it's been 20-some years. And I remember he came home on furlough and he was showing me some pictures one time and I see him at the dinner table and I was like, Jim, is that a glass of wine in front of you? And he goes, who's asking? <laughs> is this Pastor Tim or is this Tim, my friend? <laughs> I says, just Tim asking. He goes, yeah, it's a glass of wine. And at first I'm like, <gasps> how could you be spiritual and drink that glass of wine? <laughs> But you know, he could do it to the glory of God. And you know what? It's interesting what he said to me, and it took me a few years to really grasp it. He said, do you realize if you went in there and you told these Italians they had to quit drinking wine in order to be saved? He says, none of them would get saved. That's just their culture over there. And guess what? They don't think anything of it. And they don't sit around and get hammered at the dinner table. Uh, they, they, they will have a glass of their meal. They don't think twice of it. But the thing is, don't make that your obstacle. Don't make that the, the, the uh, touchstone by which you need to do to be saved. He goes, we don't even, they don't make it an issue over there. And I don't make it an issue. When I'm in Rome, I do as the Romans do. He said, he's good with that. He said, when I'm back home, I do as the Baptists do. And I'm good with that. That's what, we were Baptists. And I said, I understand that. Now, he's not playing, that's not playing a hypocrite. That's saying, you know what? It's, you don't destroy the work of God either direction. And all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful at all times. And all things are lawful, but don't be brought under the power of any. Amen? Don't sit there and 
Oh, Pastor, I mean, he's all about the beer bash. I didn't say that. I'm saying, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Can we leave it there? Can we leave it there? Okay, let's move on. As I wrap it up, Timothy, he had a tough upbringing as far as people saw him. But you know what? He said, you know, I still believe God can use me. And I'm still going to go forward. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes to help reach those people. And if that's what it takes, I'm not going to push my liberty in order to say I'm free in Christ. And then not even get saved because I pushed it. We've got to be careful. He said, reaching a loss is more important. And he also grew up having a solid foundation. Boy, what a, what a solid young man he was. Matter of fact, Paul's going to write, it to, write a letter to him. And Paul's going to reminisce. Paul's sitting in jail and he's sinking back over his life. He said, man, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 1, verse 5, he says, I, I remember the genuine faith that was in you, that was in your grandmother Lois and also in your mother Eunice. And I believe it's also in you. That it's a genuine, he goes, you are authentic. You were real. Matter of fact, later he'll say, you knew the Holy Scriptures from a babe. He was taught the Word of God as a young child. And they didn't have the New Testament. He knew the Old Testament. Man, if you're going to reach the Jews, you need to know the Old Testament. He knew the Old Testament. He was brought up knowing the Scriptures. And when Paul went through in that first missionary journey, and his grandmother uh, Lois got saved, she got saved first. She t- tells her daughter Eunice, Eunice gets saved. Somewhere in the mix, Timothy gets saved. It's believed that Paul led Timothy to the Lord probably on his first journey through there. Because he'll refer to him as my beloved son in the faith. And so here's this young man, teenager, when Paul first went through Lystra. Five years later now, Paul returns to Lystra. And his teenager is now in his early 20s. And he loves the Lord. And he's still living for the Lord. And he says, you know what? I'm going to keep living for the Lord. And Paul recruits him as an intern, brings him on, and takes him on his missionary journeys with him. He'll go from being this young teenager to get saved, live for the Lord into his 20s. He'll then be sent back to Philippi and Thessalonica. And and Paul will say of Timothy, I have no other man like-minded as Timothy. No one else thinks the same as I think as this kid thinks. Why? Because I've been pouring into his life. And I've been pouring into him and pouring into him and teaching and teaching him. And later, by the time he writes 1st, 2nd Timothy, writes the letters, he'll be pastoring a church at Ephesus. That's what this young guy did. He grew up as a teenager, got saved, and grew up living for the Lord and stayed living for the Lord. Listen, I want to tell you something. You may have grown up in a Christian home. And sometimes you're like, oh, my parents are always shoving a Bible down my throat. Really? I'm sure they're not. And by the way, if that's the case, I read, what is it, Ezekiel? The Lord rolled up the scroll and shoved it down his throat. <laughs> it's biblical, right? But, but the point is this. Man, what a blessing. You have such a testimony. You have a blessing to grow up in a Christian home, and you have a testimony that is a strong testimony. You, listen, you don't have to live a life of sin up to your neck to say, well, I don't have a testimony like they do. You get a better testimony. Why? Because you didn't have to get saved out of the muck and mire of sin. You were saved from sin. Amen? And I'll tell you what, everyone that the Lord has saved out of that muck and mire of sin, every one of them wish they didn't have to go through that muck and mire. Every one of them said, you know, I envy those guys. They didn't go through it. I used to think they were goody two-shoes back in the day. 
They still say that? Goody two-shoes? Okay. I used to think they were goody two-shoes. But you know what? They stayed at it. Man, what a powerful testimony to see young teenagers that love the Lord, young adults that love the Lord. And I'll tell you what, I'm proud to say our church is full of them. Amen? They're full of young people that love the Lord. And I sit back and say, that's awesome, man. When I look up here, I mean, you know, a lot of these guys are, I don't know, not quite, maybe half my age, we're getting close to half my age. Anyways, they're half some of your ages, right? <laughs> Mel's not half my age, but, you know, sometimes I got the strength of a man twice my age, so maybe he is. But I tell you what, you look at these young people and you say, man, that's awesome. If you look at the adults that serve in our church, you know why most of them are faithful servants and can be counted on? Because many of them, somebody poured their life into these young people when they were young. Kay and Larry Crabtree had young kids, young adults. They just poured their life into them, mentored them, taught them. And years later, I heard it was like 40-something in her small group. Good night. Where did they put them all? They must have had like a house the size of this uh, room here. But they have all these people they mentored. And now years later, they're serving the Lord. Young people. Paul's need Timothy's and Timothy's need Paul's. 24-year-old girl, Kathy Roberts, after first service, said, you know what, I'm so glad you said that because I've wanted somebody to come alongside and, and help me, but I'm kind of scared because I don't know, really know anybody that's older that could come alongside and mentor me, but I'd really like to be mentored. That's awesome, amen? And, and she goes, but don't think I wouldn't be willing to mentor someone younger than me either. I was like, that's awesome. If you're 24, you know what, you can mentor someone that's younger than you. And, and it's not always even about the age. Sometimes it's your age in the Lord. Timothy was considered young. He said, don't let anyone despise your youth. Just keep mentoring them, keep teaching them, keep pouring in their life. So I ask you, who, who's your Timothy? Or who's your Paul? Whose life are you pouring into? Who, who are you pulling alongside and saying, hey, let's go do lunch today? Hey, let's sit down. Let me spend some time with you today. Who, who do you care about? Enough to say, you know what, I'm here for you. I want to watch you grow in Christ. And I'll, I'll answer any questions you have. And if I don't know them, I'll find them out. The problem is we think we have to be Bible scholars to mentor somebody. You know what you need to know in order to mentor somebody? All you need to know is more than the one you're mentoring. Right? If they don't know your ABCs, then you need, if you know your ABCs, you can mentor them. Right? If you've been saved a little longer than someone else, you know what? You can mentor. Take them as far as you know and have someone mentoring you. So when I leave this text, I just he says, look at Timothy. Look at the culture they're in. Look at the hang-ups that, that they had. Look at the issues that he started out with, you know, coming from a, a family that, that was really looked down upon and part of his culture. But look at the guy who says, you know, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to reach the lost. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to have those sacrifices? Are we willing to mentor somebody? Be like a Paul pulling in a Timothy. Or be a Timothy who says, you know what, I need someone to mentor me. Now if you need one of us oldies to help you, don't be afraid to ask us. Just say, hey, what do you say you and I hang out this week? I'll tell you what, when you start getting, I'm going to be getting up in age next week. What is it? <laughs> week from Tuesday. I'm jumping again. My, another rotation around the sun. 56. Can't believe it. Hard to believe. And I, I still feel young. I still active too, don't I? Yes. But you know what? I still need someone to pour into me. 
And I still enjoy pulling someone alongside. And you know, I see these little kids. Evie will come up, always come over and give me a hug. I love giving these little kids hugs. Why? Because someday they're going to grow. And I want them to be close to me when they're young, close when they get older. I can keep pouring into them. Keep pouring into them. Who are you pouring into? Father, we need to wrap it up. We love you, Lord. We bless you. I pray your Holy Spirit to just work in our midst, work in our hearts. Help each of us, Lord, not to get hung up with our own hang-ups. Not to let our culture dictate our belief system. Help us, Lord, not to let our spiritual cultures dictate our behavior as well. But let the Holy Spirit of God guide us and direct us and use us. Help us, Lord, to pour into the lives of others. Help us to be like this young guy, Timothy. Man, what an example. What an example to do things and, 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 and be willing to go through procedures for the sake of someone else coming to Christ. We're not even willing to cross the street sometimes. Help us be more like Timothy. Help us be more like Paul. Help us, Lord, to branch out and trust you for great things. Work in our midst this morning, Lord. Call folks that just just need to, maybe they need to pray for someone else, need us to pray with them. Maybe they need a miracle today, Lord, just need your intervention. I pray you'll just speak into our hearts, Lord, and draw us by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Stand with me as we sing. Ministry team's coming, we're wrapping this up, you know. We're not going to drag it out. You have a prayer need, you need to pray for someone, you come. We have not because we ask not. Come and ask. Say, Lord, I want to pray for this person. You need healing, let us pray for your healing. You need job, finances, whatever it is, you come. You come. Ministry team's here, you come. So there's a coming, you come. Speak into your heart. Maybe maybe you need that touch today. You come, let us pray. All your promises are yes and amen. All your promises. All your promises are yes and need prayer today. Come, let us pray for you. Let us pray. speaking to you today just, maybe it's for you maybe it's for others just come take care of it you come
that today? You believe it? Amen. You give the Lord a hand. Let me tell you something. I don't know if my mic's there. It is. I mean, the Lord has been working. I want to encourage you. Keep praying. Keep believing. Keep drawing closer. I mean, to watch God working, it's amazing. And just this week, uh, Connie Smerdell, we've been praying for her daughter, Jennifer, had a tumor in her brain in her pituitary area. And uh, we've just been praying. It wasn't looking good. Took her to the Lord. She went back for a checkup this week, and the doctor says, I can't find it. I have no... Oh, amen. said, I have no medical explanation why, why it's not there. And that's okay. We have a divine explanation. Amen? So keep praying. And it's not just what... I tell you, you know what's been burning my heart lately? I believe we need to be giving God the glory for all these answers to prayer. Somehow we need to get it out there, whether we're sharing. You know, you have a praise, share with the mic. I leave it up here. Come let me know. I, I'd like to see, you know the old photo booths? You sit, go in there and get your picture taken. I said, I'd like to have a praise booth. Just somewhere, you go in there, you press a button, and praise the Lord, give your testimony of what God has done in your life. And we can then take it, edit it, put it up here. You say, well, I don't want to speak in front of people. Listen, God inhabits the praise of His people. Is that right? Amen. I see it and I hear about it all around us. But so many of us aren't hearing these things. And we need to hear these praises. We need to hear these testimonies. So keep lifting them up. But maybe you have a photo booth at home. Let me know. We need to get that baby set up. We do. God will use it. Father, bless us as we go our way. May our way be your way. And we bless you for using us. Help us to do no harm to the work of God. We love you and we bless you and we praise you. And in Jesus' name we all said, Amen, Amen, Amen. Share love before you leave. If you can help a mother's cover, let us know quickly. Because you're faithful.